0: Short answer is daily. That might be a good way to put it into a single word. Or regularly. If you're like me, it's frequently and repeatedly. A less common term, but a good one is recurrently. (laughs) We keep on doing it, don't we? In the normal patterns of life, sin is just a part of it. We don't go a significant amount of time, any of us, without transgressions. And so we are told in Scripture not to let the sun go down on our anger between each other. And we are urged to pray every day, forgive us our debts. Both in the Lord's Prayer and in David's examples uh, in the Psalms, we are urged on a daily basis basis to confess our many sins, and so that's how frequently at least we sin daily, okay? Question five, why can't unregenerate man keep God's law? Why can't someone born in nature keep God's law? And the short answer is because he has a sinful nature. He has no ability to obey God. He only has the ability to freely choose to disobey God. And he does. He freely chooses to sin. Here is his description from Ecclesiastes 7.20 that we quoted earlier. There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Why? Romans 8, 7 and 8 tell us, because the sinful mind is hostile to, To God. It doesn't submit to God's law, and here's the important part nor can it do so. It's not just that it might under the right conditions, it's that it cannot. Our unchanged natures, who we are by birth, is unable. To glorify God, to keep His law, to obey Him—simply unable. It goes on to say, uh, Romans 8:8. 8, 8, Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Again, it's not just that they do not; it's that they cannot. This is why many people have become Calvinistic or Reformed or or come to a better understanding of salvation, not so much because they studied the work of Christ first, but because God showed them their deep wickedness. And they came to realize that they were unable to please God, that they were truly dead in their sins, not just Mostly dead, as one of my favorite movies says. No, they are truly, really, spiritually dead. Well, if that's the case, the only way you're ever going to be saved is sovereign grace. It's not by anything you can do, because you can't do anything. You cannot please God. Romans 8, 7 and 8, right? So... Why can't an unregenerate man keep God's law? Because he still has his old nature. He's got a sinful nature that freely chooses and can only freely choose. So it is bound, it's a slave, and it's free at the same time, all right? Question six, can a man born of God perfectly keep the commandments? Well, the answer is in this life, no. In this life, no. He does keep them in a sense. He does keep them sincerely. But he does not keep them perfectly. And uh, the next questions will help us to, I hope, flesh that out if, if that's a surprising answer to you. Let's go to question seven. What is the error of perfectionism? Well, perfectionism says that perfection in this life is possible. That not sinning is possible in this life. Before our soul is uh, transported to Christ's presence and made perfect, and before our bodies are raised from the dead, raised from the grave in perfection, people can be perfect in this life. Now, there are different types of this. Some, some of these perfectionist doctrines are limited. Others are close to absolute. Uh, John Wesley, a famous non-Calvinist, of course, uh, claimed to know 10 people who he said were perfect. They didn't sin anymore. And he included a man named John Fletcher, who was acknowledged by all true believers to be a very godly man. Uh, Fletcher of Madeley, he's known as. Right? Certain Pentecostal sects believe that, uh, usually themselves, not other people, have uh, have reached perfection. There are some Roman Catholic saints that supposedly reached perfection. And, are, and, of course, there are also uh, heretics, people who deny original sin and other things, Socinians and others, that, of course, claim that people can be perfect and are perfect because sin's really no big deal. But Scripture contradicts this by expressly telling us that none are without sin in this life. 1 Kings eight forty-six: There is no one who does not sin. James three two, we all stumble in many ways. And of course, if we also look at the teaching um, of the New Testament about remaining sin and corruption that clings to us, I mean, who of us doesn't understand, who doesn't feel Romans 7, 21 to 23? I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. There's a battle that goes on. Uh, The spirit of God is jealous for us and he fights for us. Well, why does he have to fight if we're perfect or if we could be perfect? There is a promise of perfection but it is for the future in this life the promise is for sanctification glorification comes later all right so that's the error of perfectionism there are many kinds it teaches that a man can be perfect in this life there are there have been quite a number who have claimed that at any point um, none of that is scriptural Here's, an, here's a uh, distinct, in some senses, opposite error, although they also go together well. Um, what's the error of antinomianism? What's the error of antinomianism? Well, anti, you know, against. Uh, nomos, law, it's someone who's against the law. So, what's the error of antinomianism? It says that keeping the law isn't necessary, that the Christian isn't under the law. He's under grace, misquoting Romans. And and so uh, this whole idea, the whole question that you're asking, all this time you've spent on the Ten Commandments, this this question today that you've spent, Pastor Ron, um, it's all a waste of time. Uh, Christians don't have to obey the law. They don't have to love God. In a legal manner with all their heart soul and mind Uh, they don't have to follow the letter of the law often in our day this view and there are different kinds of antinomians uh, but often this view is due to a misunderstanding of the relationship of law and grace about salvation by grace alone through faith alone and works But these two things, faith and obedience, are not opposed to each other. God gives us faith to connect us to Christ so that we can obey him. Faith is not opposed to works in that that sense. Grace enables and motivates us to keep the law. Listen to Romans 3, verses 28 and 31. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. That's right. You are not uh, converted. You do not become a Christian. You are not uh, a recipient of forgiveness by doing good. You are a recipient of forgiveness through Jesus Christ and being united to him only by faith, by faith alone, right? Verse 31, do we then nullify the law? By this faith? Do we get rid of the law? Do we nullify it? Do we say it's nothing? Paul goes on, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. (laughs) God gives you faith so he can forgive all your transgressions of the law. Does it make sense to think that now you have faith you could keep living in sin? Did God pay this price so that we could keep living the same way? No, sin really is repugnant to him. And he makes us Christians in part so that we won't sin. Romans 8.4, when we walk according to the Spirit, we fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The Holy Spirit enables us to be moral, to keep the moral law. Hebrews 12:14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Wow. Is holiness necessary? Is obedience necessary? Yes. Obeying the law of God is necessary for the Christian. It doesn't earn him salvation but it is necessary. It's necessary for sanctification, it's necessary for blessing, it's necessary for answered prayer, it's necessary for heaven, right? It's necessary for peace, not only within your own heart, but between people. Try living as wickedly as you want and see how that works out. No, no. That's the error of antinomianism, saying we don't have to keep the law. Question nine. What's the biblical view of law keeping? I mean, if if perfectionism is wrong and antinomianism is wrong, what is the right view? What, how should Christians think about keeping the law? Well, Christians keep the law as the way to love God and men. It's how they're holy. (laughs) It's how they display their justification. How do you know if a man's record's clean? if his life starts getting cleaned up? Oh, not perfectly yet, but really, progressively, with stops and starts, with two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back, three steps forward. Yes, all of that, yes, but it's real obedience. It's real holiness. There's a wonderful chapter in our confession on good works. You should read it. It will encourage you. You will be reminded of what you are capable of now that you are a new creation in christ jesus sin no longer for the true christian has dominion over us it doesn't rule us oh it yes yes it does indwell us still we can't shake it in this life but it no longer dominates us now the Holy Spirit and the law. The law, remember, in the New Covenant that's written upon our hearts? <laughs> Why would it be written on our hearts if it weren't meant to keep it? Why would our conscience be sensitized to it if we weren't meant to keep it? Right? Romans 6, 17 and 18, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Amen, Paul. I can't tell you the joy it gives this pastor's heart when you come to me and say, Pastor, I see I need to be doing this now for the church or for my wife or for myself or for God. This is right. I didn't know this before. Now I do. Pray that I'll do this. Oh, what joy that gives me. Because I'm a legalist? No. But because Christians... Love God and want to please him. And the way to please him is keeping the law. That's what righteousness is. That's what love is. The following sentence was also written by the same apostle, Galatians 5:16 and 17. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. want. Both of those are our experience right now. If you're disgusted with your sin, sick of your sin, wish you could stop, that's actually a sign you're a Christian. Dead fish float down river. They don't struggle to swim upstream. And your difficult trip to heaven pushes against the world, the devil, the flesh. You're aiming for the city of God, but you're living in the kingdom of this world. You're living in Babylon, you're living in Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair doesn't make it easy for you. That's the biblical view of law-keeping. You should keep the law not to save yourself, but to show that you are saved, to show love to God, to do good works, to be at peace, on and on the list could go. All right. Question 10, what are uh, several lessons from this truth? I have two. First, um I hope you understand from all these lessons on the Ten Commandments and this lesson today the utter futility of getting right with God by your own efforts. You cannot save yourself. Oprah is so wrong. The answer is not within you, the hope is outside of yourself. The hope is what Luther called an alien righteousness. That is, a righteousness not my own, but a righteousness from Jesus Christ credited to my account and worked into my life. Secondly, well, if that's true, then we are completely indebted to God's free grace for salvation every Christian should understand by whatever name they call themselves that God alone has saved them. That it is mere grace, free grace, sovereign grace. If any man is ever saved, it is because God in his perfect grace reaches down and snatches them out of the path Of onrushing destruction, God hides us from the avalanche of sin's penalty in the rock that is Christ. He perfectly kept the commandments, so that all who believe on Him would be saved from their deserved punishment. This is the glory of our salvation: that it is God, God's work, from first to last questions or improvements on any of this